When you hear the phrase, soft as steel, what do you think of? While the word steel might conjure up images such as massive high-rise buildings, where does the soft part come in? And what exactly does this mean in our work and in our lives? Welcome to the Soft as Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran, featuring engaging conversations with a wide range of industry leaders around soft skills, how we practice love, inclusion, social justice, and compassionate leadership that's everlasting in the workplace. And now, here's Dennis Duran. I'm especially pleased to have with me today for a conversation on the Soft as Steel podcast, a person I feel is a kindred spirit. We first met just a few years ago at events associated with the Extreme Leadership Institute, founded by Steve Farber. Brian Stevens, among other roles, is the co-founder of Pivotal Growth Partners. His career journey prior to PGP includes nearly 27 years in the franchise industry with well-known brands including Marco's Pizza and Long John Silver's. PGP is establishing a new paradigm in the franchise industry. Their joint venture growth platform fits perfectly into a niche in the market where smaller brands are overlooked by buyers before they have a chance to grow. They have broken away from the traditional franchise development model by aligning key growth constituents into one company and establishing a farm system to help emerging brands thrive. With a combined 50-plus years of experience and a network of expert financial, growth, and development partners, PGP creates value and grows small regional companies into nationally acclaimed brands. Brian also continues in his involvement in the Extreme Leadership Institute as an enthusiastic believer in the body of work of Steve Farber and the value of understanding and practicing the principles of extreme leadership captured in the acronym LEAP, standing for love, energy, audacity, and proof. Brian, I'm thrilled to have you with me today as my guest on the Soft to Steel podcast. Dennis, thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Good. I hope that trend continues. But again, we both know Steve Farber, so somehow his ghost may come into our conversation. Absolutely. I'm sure it will. Yeah. And I think I said it in a reasonable fashion, and I think we're the same. We are enthusiastic believers. We're not cultish about it, but his principles of leadership make sense to you. You've embraced them. They've made a difference in how you've gone about developing a lot of your business interests. And I think that they've made a difference for a lot of people and a lot of companies. I talk about them all the time. I'm going to talk about them in this conversation since we're both pretty steep in his principles. One of the things I didn't say when I was describing PGP is that in your model, some people might say, well, so this guy's with a franchise company and they build franchises. What does that have to do with construction? Well, and the answer is that that's part of what they do. They're involved in the design and planning and construction of facilities where these franchises are operating. Is that correct? That's correct. We do today approximately 100 construction projects a year across our portfolio of brands. There you go. So if anybody wants to say that he shouldn't be on the Softest Steel podcast because he's not in construction, they're wrong. And it fits in with your overall model. So it's a fascinating business. And I got from our pre-recording conversation that you're enthusiastic as you are about all the things that you commit your time, energy, and expertise to. But talk a little bit about the model and how you developed it and a little bit about what it's producing in terms of results. Yeah, so... Pivotal Growth Partners was started in 2018 after I left the Marco's Pizza brand. And the reason we started Pivotal was to go out and assist 
founders and entrepreneurs who are starting their businesses, they might have had a great prototype. And they had a dream to someday maybe be the next McDonald's, but they don't have the expertise or maybe even the capital necessary. And that capital could be human capital or financial capital. And so we go in and once we find a great concept, we make sure that we put great controls in place because if you have a great concept in franchising, you have to be able to replicate that. That's the success of franchising, right? Is replicating these businesses, not only the way they operate, but the way they look. You talk about construction. You know, we want prototypes out there in the marketplace. So establishing a great prototype and then having great systems, processes, procedures around the controls of that brand to make sure it's going to replicate itself in the marketplace is great. We then, this is where the Farber program comes in. We infuse the brand with culture. It's critically important to have the right culture in an organization, especially a franchise company, because you have people coming in from all different areas and walks of life becoming franchisees. And if you get all that coming together with everybody's unique experiences, you could quickly have chaos in the marketplace and in your brand. And so having a well-defined company culture that we live, breathe, teach, walk and, and do every day is critically important to make sure that all works well. And as I say, then we infuse them with that capital, both human and financial, and begin to grow. And that's where we meet the, the construction. Uh, this year, as I said, we'll open about 100 different points of dis distribution around several brands. Uh, and so that means we've got a lot of construction projects going on everywhere from uh, as far west as Arizona, uh, up and down the eastern seaboard in the Midwest, uh, as well as the southwest. So we're all over the country and dealing with the uh, impact of what's happened in the construction industry since COVID. So we're all in the in the soup together, so to speak. Yeah. Have you had challenges in finding contractors to be able to do the, the work that you need to be done uh, in these different markets? We have... Uh, unbelievable challenges today. Uh, not only is it hard to find contractors to be able to do the work, um, we've also found that pricing has gotten outrageous. Um, the shortage of contractors, supply and demand, you, you see the pricing go up. But the cities are not uh, working well with contractors either. Permitting processes are taking much longer than they used to. And, and I think the contractors bear a lot of the brunt of that. And it's not their their issue. Uh, it's really the city municipalities. A lot of the workers are still working remote in cities, and that slowed down permitting times. Even uh, once you're under construction, getting inspectors out to inspect the contractor's work so they can continue to move is hard, but it's been challenging, but we're working together. We've got uh, great uh, vendor partners, many different contractors for the different brands. They build multiple sites for us, obviously. And so once we establish that relationship, have that together and have it solid. We know what they need from us and we know what to expect from them. It works very well. Yeah. Have you been able to, uh, to incorporate any, uh, I'll call them technology advances in terms of materials, methods, uh, uh, the use of kits to build out uh, spaces or functions, any of those kinds of things coming into your, into your processes? Yeah, unfortunately, right now, not too much of that. We are uh, doing a lot of, what will call it, the what used to be built on sites being built in manufacturing facilities now and brought in and shipped in and just being installed into the facilities. So we do a lot of that today uh, because stick building a lot of those things took more time, uh, more cost, and added just a part of the process that just wasn't that great. And so... Uh, 
being able to modularize some of that is really working out well for us. Yeah, good, good. So you mentioned culture, and you and, and you made a reference to uh, uh, to, to Farber and his uh, his principles. Um, talk about you know, again. So you've got you've got a vari- you've got a number of different brands. Um, that you're building out, you know, all, all these different franchises, uh, and you talk about uh, culture and the importance of of, of de- describing and defining a culture to bring alignment between uh, the franchise E uh, and their locally based staff. So, what are the key elements in the culture that are common to every franchise you have, and how 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 is it in fact? taught to them um, for, for them to have a, a way to, to maintain uh, the culture that you believe is the one that will help them be successful. Yeah. So we've done uh, the same thing we've done for every brand ever since meeting and getting certified in the Farber program. I do a blend of the LEAP program with the accountability training we learned through the Oz Principles Institute, the Partners in Leadership, and it blends the LEAP with accountability. We, we identify core and core values uh, uh, that we have to have as the company. And our core values are something we bring to life. They're not a poster hanging on a wall. They're the things that we uh, will use in every decision we make. Uh, and then the LEAP principles, they act with that accountability. Um, you know, it's, it's always funny when I start talking about love and business. You know, people think it's the squishy, feely, soft, fuzzy uh, and, and I tell them it, it can be, but it's more like parenting, right? Uh, there's times when there's cuddles and giggles and fun, and there's times when you have to be uh, stern. There's times when it just you have to do what you have to do to get the right results uh, because it's too important not to get those results. And so once people start to understand that when I talk about, you know, love being, you know, I, I love the mission. I love the brand. I love just competing in the marketplace. I love uh, winning. I love getting results. And when you build all that together and you get people to understand, it's really about them loving themselves enough to bring all that they are to the workplace and, and giving that to the workplace and then sharing in the results of that. It's powerful. And then we start talking about you know, how that drives energy and passion into the business. And we then can build bigger, more audacious goals. And uh, we identify the accountability as being proof for that. Mm-hmm. Once people get to understand what we're talking about, when we talk extreme leadership and elite principles, it resonates well and it, it gels a team together mm-hmm. uh, in, in a big way. We operationalize everything that Steve taught in his uh, platform is now operationalized. It's how we onboard people. It's how we give reviews. It's focused feedback. It's focused recognition. All these kinds of things are operationalized out of LEAP, which starts with that love for the business, the people, mm-hmm. the vendor partners, all of those things. Yeah. I, I, I say with a high degree of regularity, uh, in fact, uh, I think probably every day I have a, a, a reason, a place, or an opportunity to uh, uh, to, to re-mention the set of phrases that I know that you have committed to memory as well, and that is this idea of do what you love in the service of people who love what you do. Which, if you're in the, if you're in a franchise where you serve customers and and you're putting food in front of them, uh, you know it, it certainly feels like that's not a bad way to look at it. Uh, 
it doesn't mean that every day is going to be a great day, uh, but it, but it, but it is the right, it is the right attitude to take uh, to how you go about being successful as a business enterprise, which is obviously what a franchise needs to be. Absolutely, you know it's interesting that doing what you love is the way Steve puts that out there. And I always have added a caveat to that. I didn't get permission from him to do it. So he may slap me the next time he hears me. But I say on those days where you don't feel like you can just love it, then love what you do. In other words, and uh, and this is going to sound crazy, I don't know if it's appropriate for a podcast, but I say, you know, it's not great changing diapers when you got newborns, but you got to do it with love, right? You, You love that. So uh, everybody always thinks, well, if I don't love what I do, you know, I love painting. If I can't be a painter, then I can't be that. That's not that's not the way that they mean that. And so um, I'm always talking about love what you do and put your full self into it. That's what I ask everybody to bring to the workplace. Bring all of you and the best of you into the workplace. And when people do that, they begin to love what they do even more. And it's really exciting to see that transformation happen in people. Yeah. Well, you know, I think because you know, I think that uh, the 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 beauty of that is, um, even if it, if at first glance it doesn't it doesn't sound right, um, you know, at the at the end, uh, if a person is uh, being influenced by their leadership, and this could be the franchise owner talking to the people that he's hired, uh, you know, if 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 he if that person is successful uh, in in motivating his workforce. Uh, yep. Then you know the, the essence of that is that uh, you, you can't you can't hate coming to work. Uh, you, you know, uh, some days you feel like crap, uh, and you can go on and on and on. But 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 it's that that energy has to be what makes sense to you, even on those worst days, uh, oh, because yeah. then the then the good days are the days where the crew in the, in the kitchen is going to be clapping because something great happened with a customer at the counter, you know, those kinds of things. Is that, is that about the way it, way it operates for you? It does in a lot of those ways. Um, you know, I talk about uh, our leaders inside of our stores have to create the safe place where people do want to come to work. Um, they should be excited about coming to work, enthusiastic about it. And the way we treat them, uh, is the secret sauce in business today. People are leaving left and right. You can go across the street, make more money. Um, everybody's looking for the same employee. Uh, and I'm proud to say most of our brands uh, have long tenured employees in their business because we teach the principles of leadership and creating an environment inside our locations where people want to be. Sometimes it's actually better in work we're in the fast food industry for a lot of our brands or the fast casual industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some of our people will say that it's better for them at work than it is in their homes. Mm-hmm. And so when you're dealing with that kind of element that you have to think about, uh, it's incredibly important for our leaders to know what our people are dealing with so that we can help them and help them in their lives, not just expect them to come to work. You know, I can't worry about it. somebody coming to work and what they're going to do and how they're prepping if I also am not concerned enough about them as a person to know what they're facing at home and what they're going through. Because they say, well, leave it at home. Well, you can't leave it at home. We know that as leaders. Nobody leaves that kind of stuff at home. So I want to make sure we've got leaders capable of understanding people have bad days. What can we do to help them not have a bad day? And then they'll do the work for us there. And by caring about those people, holistically as human beings, we get tenure, we get experience, we get better uh, 
people coming and we get a better experience for our guests because the people are there. I always use an example of Chick-fil-A, even though it's not one of my brands, but Chick-fil-A hires from the same uh, experience pool, the same people. And they always give a dynamic experience because they teach, train, coach, and they care about their people in the right way. Yeah, yeah, which which causes me to, to, to think about a couple of different things. One, just part of the overall set of circumstances or conditions that we face every day in our current society include talking about things like inclusion. Uh, in in the in the workforce and in society, talk about things like mental health and wellness, uh, addiction, suicide, just a lot of a lot of harsh environmental aspects of what life is like. And you add to that just the fact that the, the people that work in your franchises aren't aren't making two hundred thousand dollars a year, and they may have large families that extend to the parents living with them. And, uh, you know, and again, because there's, there are cultural uh, issues, there are ethnic based issues. Uh, there's just so much going on uh, that, that coming to work uh, provides the opportunity for, in some cases, for the place that, that feels the safest. Yeah. Uh, and uh, if they feel safe, uh, which again starts with the with the leadership that, that individual who is the the, the 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 owns the franchise or runs the franchise day to day moment to moment starts with that person uh, doing something which is very fundamental and I and I know you understand it well but just you know establishes uh, a a basic level of of expectation that says I I will respect you. Uh, uh, as you become part of my team, and I expect the same from you. And if that, if we start with that, then over time, as we build our relationship, because uh, you don't hire people, then two days later they're all top performers and just you know just slinging stuff and and doing things so efficiently that you're cutting you're cutting prep times down by seventy five percent in the first week. Um, but but they feel. Again, this gets into emotional intelligence, which I know you understand well, and I talk about it quite a bit. This gets into uh, the leader demonstrating to his folks that, in a very fundamental way, that he cares about them. Um, and I would, I would think, and, and help me understand through words when you talk about, you know, you know, core values. Um, you know, you know, what are the words that say what the core, the, the, the kind of the, the real essence from a value standpoint are common to to all of the franchise businesses that you are building? Well, one of them is uh, ironically what you, one of the things you just mentioned. Um, we talk about diversity, equity and inclusion as a strategic advantage. And for us, what does it mean, diversity? It's diversity in every way, shape, and form. Diversity of thought. Um, I want people who think differently being able to speak up so that they're representing a thought process that we may not have thought of. And so that builds a better uh, idea and a better decision when we've actually filtered through all the different diverse thinking that goes into that. Equity is how do we invest in our people? That's how you create equity with people. You invest in some. So investing the time and the energy and the inclusiveness, making sure that everybody, to your point, feels safe, feels heard, feels valued, and can contribute. And, and with all that, as I said, it, it works extremely well. We, we have the better tenured record for our employees in this industry than anyone else in the industry across all of our brands. It's incredible. When people come here, they stay. 
I'll mm-hmm. give you one quick story. A young lady was in one of our uh, stores in one of our brands. I'll, I'll go nameless right now. And I was watching her operate. And this young lady um, was running a special part of this operation. And to look at her, one would say, wow, you may, most brands maybe wouldn't have hired her. She had three styles of hair. She had a shaved head on one side. She had a mohawk in the center and long flowing hair on the other side. It was three colors. And I don't mean three normal colors of hair. There were like purple and uh, lime green and then some other kinds of colors blended in. Tattoos all over, piercings, all these things. And at first, it was a little like a shock value when, when I saw her, but I watched her operate. I watched her service the customers and do all these kinds of things. And I I saw in her a superstar. I mean, she was literally a superstar. And I went up and engaged and started asking her a few questions. She was had a master's degree in marketing and a secondary degree in elementary education. And she's working in this food industry. And I asked her, I said, how long have you been here? She said, I've been here five years. And uh, she says, I plan on never leaving as long as they'll keep me. And I says, well, why is that? She says, look at me. She said, and this was the important thing. She says, not everybody would actually give me a chance. She said, but they hired me because of my differences, not in spite of them. Wow. And I thought, wow, that's powerful. That's really powerful stuff. And this is an educated, smart, capable, competent young woman who lives a a, a different lifestyle, chooses to look and express herself differently. But when it comes to being a a results-producing person for that organization— there's nobody better. She's incredible. That's a, that's a, such a great story, you know. And, and the old phrase that comes to mind is, "You can't tell a book by its cover." Uh, no, you know. I went and told all my other brands. I said, "Listen, you're looking past some of the best employees because they say, well, they have to look a certain way. They have to do that." I've got brands that had, you know, books that said, "No visible tattoos, no yeah. piercing." I'm like, man, that's an old paradigm. That is an old manual that's not going to get us the best people in the business uh, today. So, and I and I shared that story with people, and and it, it's had an impact on other brands being able to embrace everybody. That's diversity. That's yeah. a part of it, right yeah, there. Absolutely. You know, one of the things I say quite a bit um, when I talk about uh, about about differences uh, is uh, is to pose the question. The question is, what is one thing? Uh, that you, who I'm talking to, or an audience, have in common with every other person in this room, and the short and the immediate the short answer is that you're different from each other, yeah. uh, and and in many many ways, uh, some are obvious, you know, the things that you can see, but many things are not, uh, and so the rhetorical the rhetorical question is why is that a problem? Uh, and unfortunately, in, in many cases, and this is a gener- this is kind of the generational friction that goes on, you know, in, in my generation, I'm sure that you're in a younger generation than I am because I'm very old. Um, but, you know, my generation, you know, I'll put it in blunt terms, you know, the old white guy, that's the question. I, you know, I don't I, I, what what do I want to talk to that person for? You know, I mean, it's, who hired them or why are they here? Um, as opposed to what do they know? What have they experienced? What do they bring to the table? 
Well, how will they blend in with the other people? And I think that, uh, you know, I, I see little signs, uh, and I know from, from hearing some of your stories about Marcos, uh, you know, uh, but I'm seeing little signs in places like, and I'll mention a couple of places, one is Starbucks, uh, another actually is CVS. You know, again, one of the things happens, you get older, and in my case, whenever a new vaccine comes out, I, I go and I get my vaccine. You know, it's just one of the things I do. So I've gotten to know the, the pharmacist, but I, I noticed in my last couple of visits that the, the staff uh, in the pharmacy had, had new, very bright, appropriately bright colored uniforms that they were all wearing, just kind of perked the whole place up. Uh, and and when, when a person came to the counter, uh, the first person that made eye contact just says, you know, good afternoon. We'll be with you in just a minute. Just little things like that. Or in Starbucks, where, as you know, they put names on on, on the on the the, yeah. the servings. And you go pick up your cup, and you know, inevitably, four to five times when I walk in there, uh, my my drink is ready because I, I I used a mobile app, uh, and I go to pick it up, and I hear a voice, Dennis, how you doing today? And it's the same person. And, and she's one of the managers and she, she could be in the front or she could be all the way in the back. And she just, you know, says, Dennis, how you doing today? And, uh, and, and her name is Kimberly. And I said, Kimberly, great. How are you? So, so if, if that's part of the culture uh, of a, of a business that serves customers, that relies on people being, having an impression made on them, it goes to that whole idea that, again, one of the things I talk about, which I'm sure makes sense to you, I think it, should, it makes sense to me. And that is that, you know, what you do is your job, the, the basic job. That's the easy part. The hard part is how you do it, which addresses yes. the way you present yourself, the way you make eye contact with the, the people you're talking to, the way you express yourself, how you use your hand, all that kind of stuff. That's, that's where it all happens. And it sounds very much like your franchise models, you know, tip tip strongly in the direction of, yeah, we're going to, we got systems, we got procedures, we got tools, we got equipment, we got this and that, but let's talk about how you are when you're doing your job. And that's the difference exactly maker. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We had a great speaker at a conference one year, a gentleman by the name of Shep Hyken. Uh, and his Shep's message was always about moments of magic. And he used some examples and even used an example of a taxi driver got into a taxi in New York City, doesn't expect anything different than a typical experience. And all of a sudden the taxi driver offers him a cold bottle of water, Wall Street Journal, a couple of mints, uh, and engages with him, asks if the air temperature is right, on and on and on. And he's like, looking around thinking, what is going on here? I'm in a taxi in New York City. And it's like I was stepped into a you know, a limousine uh, from a service that I'd paid big money for. And so he started, and, and he, this guy's a motivational speaker, and he talks about this, and he's like, this guy was creating magical moments for me, just as my taxi driver. Mm -hmm. And he goes on to explain that this gentleman, he, he wants to make sure that every one of his customers will actually refer him, take his business card, use them the next time when they're in town. And, and in the end, it came down to, he likes to make those moments of magic, but he also gets paid significantly more because people, you know, as opposed to being stingy with the tip, they're giving this guy money and saying, you know, why don't you take me over here? And they do this and do that. Mm -hmm. And, but he goes into every industry and every person needs to figure out what are your moments of magic? Mm -hmm. What can you do in everything that you bring to work every day that you can create moments of magic, either for your employees, for the people you're serving, your customers, for your bosses? 
How can I make a moment? If I want to get ahead in this world and I'm, I'm working in a line job, if I think about how I can make moments of magic for this company, for these customers and for my boss, you're going to get looked at. Mm-hmm. And so we teach that right away. What are your moments of magic? How can you bring yourself to the business in such a way that you're going to show up and, and just make a difference? Yeah. Yeah. As we sit here, I mean, this, is, this is an evergreen conversation, but uh, you know, we're, we're at a point in time where there's a lot of interesting things that have changed permanently, um, you know, as a result of two years of, of a pandemic that took place. And, and so some things are, are not going to be as they were before. And, uh, sure. and we could probably launder lists a pretty good list of what those things are. Uh, but w- one of the things that is, it, in my view, is, and, and I'm, I'm curious as to whether you view it in this way, a, a challenge uh, is is to is to navigate uh, the uh, a a um, a cooperation uh, between generations uh, as society continues to change. How do generations work together uh, to be able to uh, tr- to transfer knowledge, um, to transfer uh, transfer the the best parts of culture? Both on a, on a local in a corporate setting and, and societal, how how do generations cooperate with each other? Um, and if and unless you think they're already doing it, uh, you know what are the, what are the, some of the things as you look at you know the next few years that need to happen in, as far as what I call generational friction. It's interesting you bring that up because I go to a lot of conferences where you hear business leaders saying things like. I can't wait for the Gen Zs and millennials and all these people to change and, you know, adapt to the way, you know, we are. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not going to happen. And and so the, the things we've done is just to really understand what people want from the workplace today. Not everybody wants the same kind of career that we may have wanted. We now know there are these, the, the gig society, people want to work in gigs. Um, we do a lot with allowing people through technology to sign up to actually work the schedule they want to work. Now, it has to be structured around what our business needs are, mm-hmm. but they collaborate together as team members to fill the schedule. So we don't have a boss, a manager saying, you've got to work nine to four this day and four to this the next day, because that doesn't work with today's generation. And being able to understand that their time off and their free time is critically important. Doesn't mean they won't put in the hours and do things, but they're they're not all wanting to be career-oriented people. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, we also have those that want to. And so we actually do a lot around what we call badging and, and allow people to become very cross-trained. Imagine being in the military, getting all your badges and your awards across your chest. Mm-hmm. Well, our employees can work all these different things, uh, different positions and and. Uh, work in these different uh, areas of businesses and get badged in all these. Every badge you earn can now afford you more hours, more flexibility in your scheduling because you can work these different hours. They get you more pay, uh, a whole host of things. And then we use AI tools to manage the output of every shift. And they see scoring in real time uh, about how their shift and the team that was on that shift actually produced with Uh, make times, load times, service times, customer service, all of these factors are into an AI model and they get scored. And the higher they score, 
they earn more dollars for the shifts they work as well. And so we've used technology, which they love, uh, is as a part of their life. Um, they clock in and out on their own phones. They do. They get their prep list on their phones. Uh, that AI components right on their phones. So instead of telling like most worker, most companies put your phones away when you come here. They even have a place maybe you have to store your phones. We don't do that because you're just not going to have people stick around. But we engage them in the workforce with their phones. Little things like that. Um, that an old guy like me is having to learn to do all this kind of stuff because we're meeting this new generation where they're at. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. We're not suffering bad consequences from it, which most people think, oh, that'll never work. Mm -hmm. It won't work in my business. No, it will work. It definitely will. You just have to make sure that you're finding out what's critically important to your people Mm -hmm. and making sure they know what's critically important to you because it's a two-way street. You got to know that the business has to thrive so that they can thrive. And that's that two-way street, and that helps. Yeah. How do the baby boomers, some of whom are coming back into the workforce and coming into jobs at at the rate of pay, a lot of the jobs in your franchise, how are they doing with this approach? Are they willing to learn? Are they interested in learning? Or do they make it much more challenging without obstructing it, but make it much more challenging for the teen to be able to use this style of self-management is what you're describing in terms of the resource. They say, we're going to manage ourselves. You know, the boss is saying, manage yourself, figure out, you know, who's going to work when you're going to work and just, you all do it. You know what we need and you all figure it out. And if you figure it out, well, everything's going to be great for you and for me. Yeah. You know, I hate to say this because it's going to be a generalized statement that is probably not going to sound favorable, but the older generation that's coming back in the workforce, the men mm-hmm. can't deal with it very well, and the women roll with it and love it. The women are very motherly, nurturing, and they love this atmosphere and this environment. They fit in very well, and the men are very much needing structure and think, oh, this is chaos. They don't want a part of it. And it's harder for the males to adapt to this than it is the females. Yeah. And that's absolutely not surprising. You know, speaks yeah. volumes to the fact that, you know, given, and I'll focus back in on the construction industry, but just in general, the percentage of women in the workforce, you know, particularly the percentage of women in management, both middle management and senior leadership roles is upside down. So your explanation is general, but very fair. And also reminds me actually of, uh, you may be familiar with a book entitled Mindset that Carolyn Dweck wrote. It's a great product of research, a lot of pages, a lot of small type, which is not one of my favorite size books, but she boils it down to two ideas. Fundamentally, there are two kinds of mindsets. One is fixed, and that's the guys, you, the men you just described. The other is a growth mindset. I can learn more things. I can do it better. I can blah, 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 whatever it is. All I got to do is put the effort in and things can happen. Yeah. Gosh, I wish we could talk longer, but the meter's about to run out. I don't have any more quarters to put in. (laughs) Well, you know what? I just appreciate so much you giving me the opportunity to be here with you. It's great catching up with you again. I watched, I got your copies of your book when you wrote that. I've been a fan from afar. We don't get to see each other that much, but I know you're doing great work with all that you're doing, making a difference with people in everything you're doing. You are in a tough industry. I know that I got sons and nephews getting into the industry, getting into the trades and Mm -hmm. construction. And my father was in it, and they've all said to me the same thing, that the retirement rates are far surpassing the number of people coming into the trades. And that's part of what's causing these, I'll say, the disequilibrium that we're seeing, the supply and demand for our contractor business today. Uh, That has to get fixed. 
And I'm glad that you and people like you are leading the way in the construction industry to make it a place where young people are going to want to come into that business again. It, it had a fixed mindset for a long time mm -hmm. uh, because it has to, I think, for some ways, the structure, the mm -hmm. way you do things in a construction industry, but the management and the way we handle people and things can be completely different. It can be adaptable, but can learning. Yeah. And I know my kids and the nephews I have, they're in the business. They're from just getting into it to being in it for 10, 15 years. And it's an ever-changing business, but it's robust and it, it's a great place for people to come and make a great living, raise families and have meaningful incomes. Yeah, well said. And that's absolutely true. And that's one of the reasons I continue to try to preach the message of soft skills and focusing on people and why that's so important. And our conversation today was a great one around that. And it also was a chance for me and for my audience to learn more about the franchising business. And I wish you what you will enjoy, which is continuing success in your endeavor. And I'm sure that we'll cross paths somewhere. So thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, you too. I appreciate that. And if any of your contractor friends that listen to this want to bid on jobs, Pivotal Growth Partners, they can hit me up, man. All we right. got a lot of jobs we're putting out to bid out there every year. Very good. Okay. Take care, right. my friend. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of the Softest Steel Podcast with your host, Dennis Duran. Dennis is the author of Softest Steel and a leading speaker and trainer for organizations across many industries and verticals. To learn more about the work Dennis is doing to activate soft skills in the workplace, contact him at DennisDuranSpeaking.com. Be sure to check out his book, Softest Steel, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. And please remember to share this episode with your friends, colleagues, and anyone you feel would benefit from the conversation. We'll see you next time on the Softest Steel Podcast with Dennis Duran. Produced by Audovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.